Amen. You can be seated. A couple quick things here. In your worship folder is an outline um, with some verses on it and some fill-ins. You can follow along with that. You have some cards, but we'll deal with those in a little bit. Um, I just want to let you know, God is doing great things here. And he wants to do something great today, and here's how I know that, because this whole week and all morning, the enemy has ramped it up. And I am looking at that, at this stage in my life, as that's a good thing, because that means he's worried. But if it can go wrong, it's gone wrong. So let's give you a good example. We want you to invite people for next week, because next week is Easter, and we have three services next week. 8, 9, 30, and 11. And so we have, if you might not have noticed it, you might have already done it, but there's a, a wall down there that you can use as a selfie station. Take some nice pictures. We set it up early, but it'll be up for next week too. The reason it's set up this week is we made this really cool card. This is a smaller version of it actually, and I'll explain it in just a minute. But I made this card so that you can take your selfies today. You can take your pictures today. You can be individual, your groups, whatever. And it says, celebrate Easter at Journey North with service times. It's got a little hashtag here, Easter at Journey North. So if you put that hashtag in when you post it on social media, we can all see your pictures and it'll be a lot of fun. So spent a lot of time making this sign. I almost said stupid sign. Uh, This sign. (laughs) And got the sign done and got it. it, You had to make it double. It's big. It's twice the size of this and put it together and glue it on there and have it all nice looking. And what we were going to do, what we did is Friday night, we have a a group of fifth through seventh graders that went to Camp Shamanoff for a retreat this weekend and with Becca and and some leaders. And we have Julie and some leaders and a group of eighth through 12th graders went to Duluth. So before they left, we grabbed a bunch of the, the 8th through 12th graders, and they went down, and they loved taking pictures of themselves. So we got a bunch of pictures of them holding the sign so that you can use it as an invite. And, and so like 20 of us now have done this. Later that night, you know, I got it posted. It's online. Millions of people are seeing it. You, you know what I mean. Josh texts me and says, you realize the sign's on the the times on the sign are wrong. <laughs> it's like, seriously. So they were gone. I couldn't retake the pictures, so we got the Photoshop skills going, and we changed the time on the sign. The sign down there now is correct. It's like this, only bigger, because next week is 8, 9.30, or 11. So if you want, on the way out, you can run down there. You can have a picture with you and a group or a couple people or yourself or whatever, and you can use that as an invite for the service. That'll be... That's just... That's just one of the many fun things that we've had this week that, that um, have not gone exactly according to plan, but that's perfectly okay. So anyhow, change, change gears. I know there was something else I was going to say, but in the middle of the message, I'll just say something random because I remembered what it was. So this week begins, we're starting, it's this actually kind of a mini-series. Next week is Easter, which Easter will actually be part two. But it will stand on its own. But we're looking at Jesus being the door. He says, I am the door. And, and what that's all about. And we'll talk about that a little this week. And it'll be a little, next, a little bit next week. But we don't have, Journey in Our Church at, the, at this moment doesn't have a Good Friday service. And one of the reasons we don't is because we kind of just never have. Because the first three, four years that we met, we didn't have a building. 
And we rented one on the weekends, but it was hard to get something for Friday night to have a Good Friday service and to be able to set up and do everything we did. So we didn't, and we just kind of haven't done that, and the people who want to do that have found you know, places to go. But we don't have that, so I understand it's Sunday. But we're going to pretend this is like our Good Friday service. This is... This starts, this day starts um, what's traditionally been called Holy Week because this week um, leading up to Easter, uh, the most significant events in the history of the universe, you know, with Jesus dying on, on Friday, depending on how you reckon the days, that's a whole other story. But I know that for me growing up, you know, I was in church, although it didn't really connect. But I remember hearing them talk about Good Friday and thinking, I, I don't understand that. That's a mystery to me. What is so good about Good Friday? It wasn't good for Jesus. Why is it Good Friday? Because as a kid, I didn't understand. See, the problem for me was I didn't understand the benefits and what makes it good. And I didn't understand that. So next week, we're not going to talk about Good Friday and Jesus dying. We're going to talk about the empty tomb and, and all that means. But I want to talk today about what happened on that cross, the benefits to us. Let me ask you a question. Any of you ever feel like you, you don't always finish everything you have to do? Can I see your hands? In the first service, you know how many people raise their hand? Yeah. One. And that was me. In the first service, I'm the only one who doesn't finish the things that I start out. The truth is, we all know this, here on earth, nothing works perfectly. The world is filled with unfinished projects, unfinished dreams, unfinished work. The truth is, you'll probably die with unfinished business. We all will. But I know someone who died with absolutely no unfinished business. You knew that was? Jesus. And this week, billions of people will celebrate Easter because Jesus did finish it. Because he did finish it. At the end of his life, at the end of his earthly ministry and his life before um, he died, when he was suffering on the cross, here's what it says in John 19. Knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, because this is written about hundreds of years before, Jesus said, I am thirsty. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, I want you to notice three things from this. The first one is this. He did not say... I am finished. He said, it is finished. What is it? That's what we're going to talk about today. The, third, the second thing I want you to notice is this. It says, he gave up his spirit. It doesn't just say he gave up. It said he gave up his spirit. You see, this was voluntary. When Jesus finished everything, that he came to do and said, it is finished. He voluntarily gave up his spirit. See, Jesus was not a martyr for some cause. He was the Savior. And he came to accomplish what God sent him to do. And when he finished that work, he said it. It is finished. 
and he gave up his spirit. The third thing I want you to notice is not actually in this verse. It says, Jesus said, it is finished. Because John wanted to make sure when he wrote this gospel that we understood those last words before Jesus gave up his spirit. It is finished. When Matthew recorded this event, when Mark recorded this event, they were not as concerned about the words as they were how it happened. And they both tell us that after he took the drink, when he gave up his spirit, they said, he shouted, he cried out. When Jesus said, it is finished, it wasn't this little wimpy, it is finished. It was a victory shout. It is finished. They tell us he shouted that. It was a shout of victory. You know, in history, there has never been a more important statement as these three words. The three most important words ever spoken for your life. If Jesus had not said these three words, there would be no hope for you. There would be no purpose to live for. There would be no power to live on, no place in heaven, no pardon for your sins, no peace for your heart. None of this could have happened without those three words. And the irony is, at the moment when he said it, not one person understood what he meant. Nobody there understood it. The Roman soldiers thought this radical revolutionary is finished. The religious leaders thought, finally our competition is finished. Pilate, the governor, my political headache is finished. The disciples thought, our dream of the kingdom is finished. The devil thought, the Son of God is finished. What I want to do today is just very briefly explain what Jesus really finished for you on the cross. Why is the cross such a symbol of hope? You know, before this, before Jesus died, nobody would wear a cross around their neck. It was where they tortured and killed people. It would be like, oh, do you see my, my new little thing I have for my necklace? It's an electric chair. Isn't that cute? <laughs> they wouldn't have done that with a cross. We do that now because the cross is a symbol of hope. So I want to, as we get into this, a few things I want to explain. One of them is this. When Jesus said, it is finished, that's actually, it's a phrase. It is finished. In the original language, in the Greek, it's one word. One word phrase. And the word is tetelestai. In fact, I want you to say that only because it's fun to say. Tetelestai. Ready? Tetelestai. That's one Greek word. But in ancient Greek, it was used many different ways. For instance, when a servant said tetelestai in ancient Greek, first century, it meant the job has been completed. So the master tells him to do something. He goes and does it and says tetelestai. The job is finished. When a judge said to Telestai, it meant justice had been served. You've done your time. That's what it meant. When an accountant said to Telestai, it meant the debt has been paid in full. In fact, they have found ancient tax receipts from first century. Yeah, tax has been a problem for a long time. They literally have first century tax receipts and stamped on them is the word tetelestai. It means paid in full. If an artist said tetelestai, it meant the work of art is finished. Like you finish doing your painting, your sculpture, whatever, and you stand back and you say tetelestai. 
it is finished. If a priest said to Telestai, it meant the offering has been given. It's complete. The word to Telestai, this, this single word, what we get as a phrase, it is finished. It literally sums up the whole purpose of Jesus. This is Christianity in a nutshell. It is finished. So to Telestai, it is finished. What did Jesus finish on the cross? I could give you a long list of things, and we could talk about this for a long time, about what Jesus accomplished by dying. He fulfilled over 380 prophecies when he died. Over 380 things written about him hundreds of years before when he died. There were hundreds of promises fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross. I don't think this is on your outline. I don't think it's even on the screen, but in 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says this. All all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. All of them. What God promised was fulfilled in Jesus. So we want to understand what he did. And to understand the cross, first you need to understand three things about God. First thing is this. God is a God of order and laws. He's not just like out there crazy. There's order and there's laws. The Bible says he's righteous, which means he does what's right. So there's law, there's order there. The universe works, whether you recognize it or not, it works because of the laws that God has established. The laws of physics, the laws of chemistry, there's mathematical laws and, and physical laws and spiritual laws and there's, there's moral laws and God established these laws and that's why everything works. God actually gave his moral laws to Moses and to the Jewish people to share with the world. That was the purpose of that. God gave us rules to live by. It's his universe, and it's his right to do that. So God is a God of order and laws first. The second thing you need to know about God is God is a God of justice and fairness. A God of justice and fairness. How many of you ever said these words? That's not fair. Maybe not like that, but you've said. Usually that's how we say it. That's not fair. Um, almost every kid who can speak has said that many times, often to a sibling. That's not fair. Where do we get that sense? Do you know why we all say that? Because we're made in God's image. And there's this inborn sense of fairness. There's this innate idea in us of fairness. When a law is broken, fairness and justice demand a penalty. That's just how it works. Is it fair when people get away with murder? No. It makes us upset and angry. We want justice. Is it fair when some people get mistreated and others get an advantage? No, we don't like that. That's not fair. You know what the problem is? All of us are completely unable to keep all of God's laws. All of us. He is perfect and we are not. He gave us the laws, but we can't keep them without his help and power. Show of hands. How many of you have ever broken one of God's laws? Can you see your hands? There's a few of you right now, you're breaking one because you're lying. <laughs> Didn't raise your hand. We all have. The Bible says we're all lawbreakers, so there's a penalty. But the third thing is there's good news. The third thing about God is he is loving and forgiving. He is just and fair, 
but he's also loving and forgiving. And so he sent Jesus to pay for our sins. Here's what Jesus finished on the cross. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing he finished on the cross. He paid my penalty and canceled my debt. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid my penalty and canceled my debt. Just in case you need to know again, on the back I put the answers. So if you don't get it, we go to the next slide. You're covered, don't worry. In Romans 8, verses 3 and 4, it says this. The law of Moses could not save us. Could not save us because of our sinful condition, our sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours and gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins. God did this so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished for us. Because he's just and fair, the law was, it had to be taken care of. It says the requirement of the law. You know what the requirement of the law is? Justice and fairness. It's not fair for us to break laws and get away with it. Justice requires the lawbreakers pay a penalty. So God said, I'll do it myself because of my love. So Jesus did for us what God's justice and law required. That's what he did on the cross. In Hebrews 9.15, it says this, Christ died to set people free from the penalty of sins they committed under that first covenant. He died to set us free from that. But it's, it's even more than that. He completely wiped out your debt and closed the account. That's what Jesus did on the cross. In Colossians 2.14, I love this verse. God wiped out the charges, canceled the record of all the times we've disobeyed God's commandments. Jesus took our guilt on his own body and nailed it to the cross. That's liberating. That's freeing. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Imagine getting a call. Pick up, the phone rings, answer the phone, and it's Visa. It's not the typical, don't hang up, the recording says. This is, this is Visa, there's something wrong with your account, or you need a different, and it's a scam, it's, it happens all the time. Imagine Visa really calls you, and they say, you know um, that big debt you have on your credit card? Somebody paid it. Um, we're canceling all your charges. Your record is wiped clean. Wouldn't that be great? It shouldn't bother you because you shouldn't have visa debt. I'm just saying, but it's an illustration. Imagine it being forgiven and forgotten. Visa debt is nothing compared to the debt we owe because of the sin that we've committed. You see, there is no need to keep trying to repay God for your mistakes. He's already paid for it. I heard a story. There was an elderly lady she called the insurance company and she was talking to an agent. And she said, she's you know, frail and weeping and she says, my husband died five years ago. I can't afford to keep paying his life insurance premium. <laughs> and the insurance agent is like, ma'am, 
it's paid off. And there's a death benefit. You shouldn't have been paying this all these years. You realize that's how many people live their lives? Trying to pay for something that Jesus already paid for? We don't have to keep trying to repay God. In Hebrews 5, 9, it says this. After Jesus had finished his work, he became the source of eternal salvation for everyone who obeys him. Jesus finished his work and took care of the debt and became the source of eternal salvation. So that's the first thing. He paid my penalty and canceled my debt. The second thing that Jesus finished on the cross out of many, many things is, number two, he broke Satan's power to mess up my life. He broke Satan's power to mess up my life. Anybody notice here life is hard? Sometimes a struggle. Have you ever felt that you're in a battle, you know, fighting forces that are against you? That's what it feels like. You know why it feels that way? It's true. You're in a battle. A cosmic war between good and evil. You see, Satan hates everything God created, including you. The truth is, if we're being honest, without Jesus, we're powerless against Satan. He, can, he, he comes in, he does this, he tries to mess us up. But Jesus assured the ultimate victory for God and for good on the cross. That's what Jesus did. In Colossians 1.13, it says, God rescued us from the dark power of Satan and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. For those who have received Jesus as Savior and become followers of him, we're out of the dark kingdom of Satan and brought into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his dear son. That's what Jesus did when he finished his work. You see, when Jesus died, I believe Satan thought he'd won. Evil had triumphed. He, he, he did what he wanted to do. Jesus died. Except three days later, you know, I'm back. <laughs> and, and Satan's days are now numbered. But when Jesus said, it is finished, Satan was like, uh-oh, I'm finished. And he really started ramping things up. And Satan has always messed up people's lives. And, you know, I don't know if you've realized this, but he has favorite ways of doing things. And usually he finds a way that works and he uses it on you. Two of his favorite ways, his favorite tools of messing with us are temptation and condemnation. Temptation is it's to lure you into some self-defeating behavior. And he doesn't tell you it's a self-defeating behavior beforehand. He tells you it's something good. And he lures us into it and he tempts us into it. And it's after we've done it that we realize it doesn't not only not do what we thought it was going to do, it messes us up. That's what temptation does. His other favorite tool is condemnation. To condemn us. To destroy your potential. To destroy your identity. To make you forget, if you're a follower of Jesus, what that means and who you are in Christ. He uses that one on me far more than temptation. To forget who I am. That's why every morning I repeat the truth that he gives me. Here's who I am in Christ. And so when you trust Christ, when you believe in Jesus and receive him as Savior, the cross neutralizes both of those things. It tells us, in fact, I think this is in your notes. It says, because of the cross, I can resist temptation. 
because of the cross, I can resist it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says you can trust God to not allow any temptation greater than your power to resist it. And this is a very misinterpreted verse. We've talked about this numerous times here. Um, there's some translations that say God won't allow you to bear you know, more than you can handle. It's talking about temptation. It's not talking about God putting you through things, tough things, more than you can handle. Because I'm here to say God puts me through tough things more than I can handle every single day. You know why he does that? Because I'm not supposed to be the one that handles everything. He is. And if I can handle it all, why would I trust in him? He puts me through things all the time that I can't handle so that I learn to trust in him. But temptation, God doesn't tempt anyone. But he doesn't allow us to be tempted, it says. You can trust God to not allow any temptation greater than your power to resist it. That means every time you've said, oh, the temptation was too great, I couldn't resist it. Liar. <laughs> yes, you could. And so could I. It says, when you are tempted, God will provide a way of escape so that you can defeat it. There's always a way out. That's one of the things that cross does for us. When we receive Jesus, we can now resist it. And because of the cross, I can reject condemnation. I don't have to live there anymore. Jesus destroyed Satan's leverage to accuse you. He can say things about you, and the things he says about you might actually be true. He accuses us before God right now, and, and he gives me, Satan gives me this picture of him standing there and saying, did you see what Tim did? And he tells God what Tim did, and it's like, yeah, I did. <laughs> but then God says, but you're not seeing the whole picture. Jesus is there between God and Satan. And he puts up his hand, the one with the nail print in it, and says, that's okay, I paid for that. I got that covered. And God looks at me through Jesus. And I don't have to, to suffer through Satan's condemnation. In Colossians 2, it says this, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. And God displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. There is, if you're a believer in Jesus and you've received him, there is no more condemnation. That's what it promises. So he paid my penalty. He canceled my debt. He broke Satan's power to mess up my life. And the third thing, another thing of many that Jesus finished on the cross, he guaranteed my salvation forever. He guaranteed my salvation forever. Philippians 1 says this, verse 6. You can be certain of this. God who began his good work within you. What that means is if you've received Jesus as Savior, if you believe that he's the one who paid for it and you trusted what he did on the cross for your sins, he paid for your sins, and you receive him as Savior, become a follower of him, God began a good work in you at that moment. And it says, the God who began his good work in you will continue his work in you until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus comes back again. He promised that. He will do it. You see, once you have salvation, you can't lose it. I know that because if you had to work to earn it, you could lose it. If you had to work to earn it, you'd have to work to keep it. We didn't do it. He did it. Ephesians 2, 
says this. I like the message paraphrase of this. Saving, verse 8, is all his idea. It's all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. That's what salvation is. You see, when you die, you'll still have unfinished business. But there's one thing that's been finished for you. There is nothing you can add to your salvation. Once you become a follower of Jesus, it's finished. What if I took a paintbrush and I'm standing in a museum in front of the Mona Lisa? It's like, you know what? I think I can make that better. I mean, I edited the, the, the times in those pictures for the thing. I got, how hard is this? You think I could make the Mona Lisa better with a paintbrush? Do you think they'd let me near the statue of David's Michelangelo with a chisel and say, no, it's okay, I'm just going to make it better? You can't improve certain things. You can't improve on what Jesus did. I've done this. I don't know, I don't know a, a preacher who hasn't done this. You can do this too. The first time I ever heard it, it done was, I think, like Spurgeon a couple hundred years ago. Um, I had somebody come up to me. Person, guy, I mentioned his name, has been through a lot of stuff, done a lot of things, probably shouldn't do, um, became kind of well off because of that, but knew that um, the things that he did and how he did it was not good. And he knew that he was going the wrong direction fast and that he needed to be saved. And he came up to me and he said, what can I do to be saved? And I knew he really wanted it. What can I do to be saved? And there's something in me. <laughs> Looked at him, all sincerity, and said, I'm sorry you're too late. <laughs> and you could see the panic in his face. I'm sorry, you're, you're too late. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean I'm too late? Well, can I do something? And I, got the, I got money here, I can do this, what can I do? I said, I'm sorry, you're too late. And before he got too discouraged, I said, you're too late because it's already all been done 2,000 years ago. There is nothing you can do. You see, that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion on the planet. Every other religion on the planet is a do religion. Do this, do this, do this, do, 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 do up, do up. <laughs> That's every religion on the planet. Christianity is a done religion. It's already been done. You can't do anymore. John 10, 28, on the screen, says this. I give them eternal life. People who have received Jesus as Savior, he says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Once we're his, we're his. When I received Jesus, I was adopted into that family. Could I do bad things still? Yeah, I could do bad things still, but you know what? If you have a child and they do bad things, they're still your child might not acknowledge it, but they're still your child. When I was adopted into his family, I am in his family. My security is in the fact that Jesus paid for that. Where's your security? Because if your security in life is in your job, you can lose your job. If your security is in your house, you can lose your house. 
If your security is in your money, you can lose your money. If your security is in your spouse, you can lose your spouse. You can lose all of that. You see, I may lose everything, but I will never lose my security because my security is in Jesus. And I can never lose that. See, real security is in something that can never be taken from you. And that's Jesus. Acts 10.35 says this, It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do what he says, the door is open. He's standing with open arms, ready for you. So what did Jesus complete on the cross? He paid my penalty and canceled my debt. He broke Satan's power to mess up my life. He guaranteed my salvation forever. When I am discouraged, all I have to do is remember what Jesus has already done. These three things, among many others that he accomplished on the cross, give us hope because they're done. He's given us hope. And you say, what do I do? You can't do anything. (laughs) He already did it. You just receive him. Just accept him as your savior. What you're telling him is, Jesus, I realize I can't do anything to add to what you've already done. You paid the price. I can't do it. You've already done it. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as I I pray. Because maybe it's time for you to talk to God about this. Maybe this is why you're here today. You might even feel him whisper in your heart, this is why I brought you here today. Dear God, I know that I need these things in my life that you paid for. They were paid for on the cross. That you canceled my debt. You paid my penalty. And that when I receive you, when I trust you, and when I, when I realize I can't do it, you've already done it. And I believe that what you did was for me, that my debt is paid. And that, that at that moment, you broke Satan's power to mess up my life. You guaranteed my salvation forever. Father, I believe there's somebody listening to this right now who in their heart of hearts is saying, That's, I would love that. I would like to have that hope. I would like to have that assurance. I would like to have that security. I pray that even at this moment, they would listen to that prompting, that whispering from you and just say, yes, Jesus, thank you. I believe that what you did was for me. I'm receiving you. I'm confessing that. I'm trusting you today. We know, Father, that when a person comes to you and does that, that you begin that process of of changing them from the inside out. They are adopted into your family. They become a child of the King. And I ask, Father, that, that nobody would walk out of here today without knowing that that's true of them. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you did for us on the cross. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to do three things to help you remember this. The first thing is I'm going to ask you, if you made a decision of any kind to be able to share that with us, we're going to share communion together, and we're going to take your needs, your hurts, your whatever, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to just symbolically nail those to the cross. So when you came in, you got three cards. If you didn't get three cards, 
I'll get them to you in a little bit. But you got three cards. The, the first card is um, a decision card. And it has a place for your name and contact information, but it says, today I made the decision to follow Jesus and committed my life to him. And if that was you today, if you've trusted in, in something else until this point and you trusted in Jesus today, then I want you to mark that. I want you to put your contact information on it. At the end, when you leave, there's some a box, wooden joy boxes at the welcome desk and one at each door. Drop that in it. We're in this together. We want to be able to help you and pray with you. Share that with somebody. Maybe you've already known Jesus when you came in, but you've wandered and you realize that today. And today you recommitted your life to him. Check that box. Maybe today you made the decision that I know somebody who needs this hope. And you've decided to invite somebody to Easter. They may or may not say yes. That's not your thing. Your thing is just inviting them. So check that. Maybe you'd like to help next week, Easter, one of our services, 8, 9, 30, or 11, or maybe a couple of ours, whatever one you're not worshiping in. Um, um, and I have a couple things you can check. For instance, the number one on the list is parking lot greeter. You know why that's number one? I cannot tell you how many people have come up to me and said, you know, the reason I'm here um, is because I got out of my car and made it across the parking lot. And I have a number of people who have told me I actually was in the parking lot two or three Sundays before I actually got out and came. That was the hardest walk for them. Imagine what it would be like to have a whole bunch of people in a parking lot happy to see them and welcoming them. Our parking lot greeting crew is one of the most important crews in this church. So if you'd like to be a part of that, check that. If you want to be an inside greeter, check that. There's a ton of areas to serve. Some of them require a background check, so it can happen by next week. But if you want to serve wherever needed, check that. Put your name and contact info, and you'll be able to turn that in in the back. But if you're one of the ones that made a decision for Jesus today, you're going to be able to share with us what we're going to do next. The second thing we're going to do, we're going to share communion together. Because Jesus, on the very night that he was betrayed... Right before he went out to those, those trials and to the cross, instituted something to help us to remember what he did. And on that night that he was betrayed, he shared the bread with them and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. They had no idea what it meant at that moment. But a couple days later, they did. And he took the cup and he said, Share this cup as the new covenant. He said, It's sealed by my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. We at Journey North believe that when we share communion together, it doesn't save you, it doesn't make you better, it doesn't make you holy, it reminds you who is holy, who did make us better, that his body and blood was for us. So at Journey North, we believe it's really, it doesn't do anything for you, it doesn't save you, it's for believers only, but it's for all believers. So if you're here, you're from another you know, church, it doesn't matter. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome. If you just today ask Jesus to be your Savior, you get to share communion with us today for the first time. And so if for whatever reason, when it comes, you just want to let it pass, just let it pass, no judgment, Not, nothing to worry about here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start, we're going to pass the bread first, and I'm going to ask you to hold on to yours until everybody's gotten it so that we can all share together. All right, let me pray and then we'll do that. Father, as believers have done for, for 2,000 years, as we share this together, as we share the bread together, help us to remember your body that was broken and bruised and, and, and beaten and hung on that cross, not because of your sin, 
but because of our sin, because there was justice that had to be served and that we don't have to pay that ultimate price because you did. Thank you for, for willingly giving that up for us. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name, amen. Again, please hold on till everybody's received it. It says in 1 Corinthians, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, he gave thanks to God for it. It said he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Father, even, even as we hear that crunching, <laughs> we, we remember the price that was paid for us, that Jesus paid it all with his body. And as we share the cup now, we know that what Jesus did on the cross by shedding his blood was not for his sins, it was for ours. Because as it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And because of Jesus' blood, we can be forgiven. Father, we thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. As the cup is passed, again, hold on to it until we've all received it. And for those who need to know, it's grape juice. It tells us in the same way he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant. It's sealed, he said, with his blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we come before you and we are just in awe of what you've done for us. Thank you for this reminder that we have of the price that was paid for us. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. The third thing we're going to do is as you leave, I want to give you the opportunity um, to symbolically nail your mistakes and your needs and your fears to a cross. We have three crosses here. We have um, in the box are a couple hammers and um, a couple of nails. Don't drink What we're going to do is your third card, your second card in there, it says cross card. All it says is cross card. And there's some lines on it. I want you to take this card. Nobody will ever see what's on here except you. So don't sign it. Don't put your name on it. This is just, I want you to write the thing you are most grateful has been totally forgiven. Whatever that is. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's a need. Maybe it's something that has plagued you with regret. You need to let it go. Something very real about just writing it down. So, so just take it and write that down, whatever it is, and then fold the card in half, the thing that's plagued you with regret or remorse or whatever it is, and I'm going to pray, and then that's it. I'm walking to the back, and the praise team is going gonna, is gonna to play. And what I'm going to ask you to do is if you want to, come up, open the box. There's a couple hammers in each one and nails. And take your card and nail it to the cross. We have big, long nails. So hopefully there's no fingers being hit. Big heads on them. All you have to do is put it in enough to hold it. Please don't pound it in all the way. <laughs> because we're taking them out and throwing them away afterwards. Um, but put that on there. I got to say, the first time I ever did this, 
I don't know, was that 15 years ago? I didn't think much of it until I walked up to the cross with my thing and I put the nail in and when I hit it with the hammer, I did not anticipate what would happen in my heart when I heard that pound on the nail. And I realized that I could do that because of what Jesus went through for me. And so I think it can be a very healing thing. So the worship team's going to be playing. You can just come up if you want to and line up at one of the crosses. You can sing with them. You can just listen to them. But as soon as I get done praying, you can start coming up and doing that. When they're done with their song, we're done. You can hang out. You can do what you... Go down and take a selfie. I will see you next week for part two of I Am The Doors. We celebrate Easter next Sunday. Bring a friend. And by the way, that's the third card. The third card that I gave you is a personal invite card that you can take and hand to somebody and say, would you like to come to me, come with me to Easter? And whatever they can do, that's what you can do. So... As soon as I get done praying, you can come up and nail your card with your mistakes and your needs and your fears to a cross if you want to. And don't forget to drop off your decision card. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've done. Thank you that even as we symbolically nail these, these things to the cross, we think of what you finished for us on the cross. Thank you for that. We thank you for what you're doing here, for what you're going to do here this week and and next weekend, and for the people who are coming to Jesus. We know, Father, that their lives will be forever changed here and in eternity. We thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.